Well, hey, grab your Bibles, turn with us to Proverbs chapter one. Proverbs chapter one is where we're spending, we're spending our summer in the book of Proverbs because we're after the wisdom of God for every area of our life. That's what we want at the foundation of all that we do. Now, typically I kind of get into the message and before we jump into the word, I'll stop and pray, but I just want to stop and pray right now. I don't want to say one word in this message without the spirit of God leading and guiding that. I've been out of the pulpit for two weeks and uh, I fear I was a little overzealous in the first service. Uh, too, too much reliance on Brock. So just pray with me right now that the Spirit would come teach us this morning. Father, not one word to be said here today that's not directed by you. Lord, we're not here to hear any of the wisdom of man. We're here because we want your wisdom for our life. God, we beg your Spirit now to show up and do with your word what your spirit delights in doing, and and that is in making much of your son. And so, God, would you get all of us out of the way of this? And, Lord, would you come speak right to our hearts that which you want to speak? God, we need to hear a clear word from you this morning. That's what we want. That's what our soul hungers for. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. But all all of us have... All of us have have wisdom people in our life. I mean, these are the people that we go to when we can't tell kind of up from down in life and and there's a whirlwind of circumstances that have just kind of tornadoed into our path. And these wisdom people are the people that we always go to when life gets like this. They're the people that we walk into their living room and we sit on their couch and for hours, we just just kind of vomit out all that's going on into our life. Or we grab a cup of coffee and we sit across from a table and for hours we just pour out, here's everything that's going on and I don't know what to do. And then you know this with these godly wisdom people, they're able to kind of take all of the hours of everything we've just put out there and they just kind of sit back in their chair and in like a matter of minutes, they're able to distill it down to the hard issues and kind of hand back over the table this nugget of gold of godly wisdom. You had those people? And you just leave walking out like, how did they do that? How are they able to kind of wade through all the uh, kind of peripheral issues and get to the heart of it and, and hand me this, this piece of wisdom that is spot on? We've all walked away like, praising God for them. We've all walked away from people like that going, I want that. I want more of God's wisdom. I want to know what it's like to have the wisdom of God as kind of the foundation of every area of my life. And you know we're all in the same boat on this. This is why we got up early on a Sunday morning instead of sleeping in. This is why we're here in this room instead of hitting a little white ball off a tee this morning. Because we want the wisdom of God to be the bedrock foundation for every area of our life. And now God is so good to us in that he gives us what's called wisdom literature in his word. He gives us a book like the book of Proverbs. And and if you're there in Proverbs chapter one, I want you to see just how this book begins. It's kind of like a class in college or a class in high school when the teacher or professor handed you a syllabus on the first day. And they went, here are all the things we hope that you are take away from this class. This is what Proverbs does when it starts. Look at Proverbs 1.1. Says the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, 
And now it tells us, here's what's going to happen if you guys study this. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. All in favor of studying this book, say I. I mean, the blessings that will come from us pouring the wisdom of God into our minds. And now last week, Pastor Joe launched us into this series in just a fantastic way by talking to us about the blessings that this book promises of seeking godly wisdom. We want it, we're here because we want it, and God promises blessings if we have the wisdom of God as the bedrock foundation for our lives. Now today, here's what we want to talk about. How do we get it? I want it. I know there's blessings if I have it. How do we get the wisdom of God? Where does it start? And here's something kind of so interesting. I might throw you off here for a minute. What if actually getting the wisdom of God comes as a byproduct through our seeking of something else? And what does Proverbs say this something else is? Flip a couple pages to the right here. Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. And as you flip there, I just kind of want to, I want to, Lay out. Typically, if, if, you're, if you're new to Harvest, typically we'll find ourselves in one portion of Scripture and we'll just kind of walk right through the paragraph and the point of the message will be the point of that paragraph. The way Proverbs is structured, though, that there's all these different themes and they kind of hit, uh, they're, they're quick hitters at a time. And so we'll be all over the book of Proverbs today, but I hope to be able to lead us well to navigate this topic of how we get the wisdom of the Lord. Proverbs 9, verse 10 says this, the, next word, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And so right there on your notes, write this down to start this morning. Wisdom will start for me with the fear of the Lord. Now, with that as our point, with what Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom, the next logical question is really, really important to us seeking after the wisdom of God in our life. The next logical question is this, what is the fear of the Lord? And for millennia, this topic has been studied and people have tried to kind of distill down to what the fear of the Lord means. But from cover to cover in our Bible, from Genesis to Revelation and all the pages in between, this theme of the fear of the Lord comes up over and over and over and over and over again. And it's crucial that we have a right understanding of what the fear of the Lord is. Now, I love what Jerry Bridges, a Christian author, speaker, he's now with the Lord, but he said this about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is better described than defined. His point is that we so badly with this fear of the Lord thing, we would love to package this down into some neat little definition, some pithy definition that we can go, the fear of the Lord is this. And, and Jerry Bridges, I think wisely has said, 
it's, it can't really be defined in one pithy little definition. It's better described. And so what we need to do today in understanding, if we want the wisdom of God, we need the fear of the Lord. They're a package deal. We love package deals. We love Holiday World because we get Splash and Safari with it. Am I right? Your kids love Happy Meals because they get the toy. Fear of the Lord and the wisdom of the Lord walk hand in hand. And now what is the fear of the Lord? And how do I know if that is evident in my life? I think to describe it, let's look at it from three different ways in which God reveals himself to us. God reveals himself to us as father, right? All throughout scripture, you see the Lord being referred to as our heavenly father. Now, having a right understanding of God as father Um, it it will lead to this reverence, this reverent fear of who he is. This this is if we understand him to be our good and loving heavenly father, we want to honor him like a good son wants to honor his daddy. We want to honor the Lord and how we live. It's this reverent fear for who he is. And now this is typically where the discussion of the fear of the Lord stops. This is how I've taught it. This is how I'm sure that you've heard it taught before. That when you come across a reference in the Bible to the fear of the Lord, we always say like, okay, now, don't worry. All that means is that you should honor and revere the Lord. Have you heard that before? You heard that before? And yet, while that is true, there's way more to this topic of the fear of the Lord, that yes, seeing God as father and having this reverent fear for him is part of it, but there's more to the story. I mean, think about God as he reveals himself to us as creator. Anyone see that lightning storm on Tuesday? And does that ever just kind of put you back in your seat as you watch that crashing around the sky? Like how awesome is the God behind all of that. That when we see God as creator God, that this leads uh, to a sense of awe in our heart for him. That there is, yes, a reverent fear for God as father, but there is this awe-inspired fear of God as creator. And listen, church, we can so dumb down and boil down this idea of the awesomeness of God. Our hearts were created for awe. And this is why that when we see something awesome, truly awesome in creation, there's something inside our heart that explodes at seeing that. When we see someone with a really, really great skill in some way and we watch them do that skill, we're like, that is awesome. But there's something behind the awesomeness that we're seeing and it's an awesome God. And creation is to get our eyes on this awe-inspiring God. And in that, we're to have this healthy fear of who he is. What do I mean by that? Um, When you read scripture and you see the creator show up on the scene in creation, how how do created beings act when that happens? How do they act? What do they do? Say what? They fall on their face. When creator God shows up on the scene of creation, created beings immediately are on their face. 
they, they're saying things like, I am undone. They're falling on their face. Scripture describes it as though they are dead. Some of them say, who can, who can continue living after being in the presence of the living God? And now what we want to do, because we want to make ourselves feel more comfortable, when we come to a topic like the fear of the Lord, we say, all it means is to, fear, uh, to revere the Lord. No, they look scared to me. There is this legitimate fear, but then what does God always say next? Fear not. How do we live in this tension of, I am to live with this healthy fear of the Lord, and yet he's an awesome daddy who looks back at me and says, fear not, child. He's good, huh? You have God as Father God, hopefully welling up this reverent fear of him. You have God as creator God, hopefully welling up this awe-inspiring fear of who he is. But now think about this. God revealing to himself to us in his word as judge. Get to a courtroom with me. Uh, when I was in youth ministry, one of our, there was a teen I was discipling. He got into some legal trouble and I showed up at his court date and never been into a courtroom. I didn't know court etiquette. You guys will know this. But when a judge walks into a, a courtroom, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, so I wish someone would have told me that. <clears throat> so I'm sitting there, a judge walks in from his chambers up to his bench, and I'm just, you know, this young, naive youth pastor just chilling in his courtroom. And he gets up to the bench and he leans into the microphone and he says, when a judge walks into his courtroom, you stand up, not in honor for the man, in honor for the position. And I'm like... <laughs> Like, I'm not even on trial, and I'm terrified right now. Like, get to a courtroom here. God reveals himself to us in his word as judge. We water this down, folks. And I'm not coming at you because just this last week, I'm on vacation. I'm studying in Revelation. I'm sitting at a coffee shop in Naples, Florida, watching the sunrise, studying Revelation. And I come to all of these things of how God is going to judge the unbelief of this world. And I literally say out loud, audible, I'm sure I look like a fool. Audibly, I'm like, I'm living like this isn't going to happen. I'm living like this isn't going to happen. This is going to happen. He is a good and just judge. And this idea of God as judge should well up inside of us, this justice fear. When someone on trial stands before a judge for sentencing, literally their fate is in his hands. God is the judge over all and over all of our lives. And there should be a justice fear in us of that. Now, let me talk to two different groups of people on this note. There are those of us in here who at one time we got this, it clicked. The Spirit of God came and revealed to us that we had offended a holy God with what God calls sin. And in doing that, we saw that God in his holy, we just sang about it. Why do our hearts explode when we sing something like holy, holy, holy? Because we're recognizing he is so other than us. 
And we know that one day we'll stand before him as judge. But listen now, those who have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who've surrendered to his lordship in their life, there's an advocate that stands next to us in the courtroom and he cries out, innocent. And we whisper back to him, I'm not innocent. He's like, innocent. And that advocate's name is Jesus. And all the guilt and all the shame and all the sin was piled on his shoulders when he went to the cross and he paid it all so that one day when we stand before this judge, that judge will be our daddy. Think about this. You're standing, you know, what... You're standing before the good judge who's also your father that allows you to approach his throne with boldness and you're up there playing with his gavel. But now listen. Do not let that water down this justice fear of our God. We love talking about the grace of our good father because he is full of grace. He is, he is. Hear me now, hear you. I don't want to minimize any of that. But there's this justice side of God that we cannot lose sight of. So that's Christians in the courtroom, advocate crying out innocent. Now I want to talk to you if you're here and you're not a Christian. And you might not like what I have to say, but I want to say this out of love to you. Uh, love for you. If you're here and you're not a Christian, there is one God and he is creator God and he is the living God of the universe. And he's given us his, his word. He's revealed what, what's on his heart to us in this book. And one of the things this book says is that he will stand as judge over this earth. you will stand before him one day. And if you're here and you've never seen your need for him, and your whole life you've been turning and running from him, I want you to hear this in the most loving way that I can say it. The God of the universe is a terrifying force to turn your back on and run from. We're not saying that enough in our culture. The God of the universe is a terrifying force to turn your back on and run from. Growing up in West Michigan, our family had a dairy farm and my uncle lived on it. As kids, we just hang out out there. It's just fun to hang out at the farm. And cows are, they're just big, dumb animals. You really don't need to be scared of cows. But there's one cow. You always knew where the one cow was. And that cow's name is Bull. And if you're inside the fence there and you're pushing the cows toward the parlor for a milking, you knew where the bull was. And if you're working on the fence or whatever, you had one eye over your shoulder, you knew where the bull was. And from the time you're like, you know, waist high, hanging out at the farm. You were taught how to handle the bull. You don't spook the bull. And, and if the bull starts kicking some dirt up, you just move and out of the way fast. 
I didn't share this in first service, but as a little kid, there was a fence, a wooden fence up between the bull and I. And so I was probably eight, eight years old. And so I see this fence as a barrier. And so I walked up to the bull and I went, Rawr! The bull just put his shoulder into that wooden fence down. There's no barrier between the bull and I now. Luckily, daddy's truck was right there. I hopped in that bad boy. But you knew if the bull started charging you, you got out of the way, you got somewhere safe, you tucked away, you got on the other side of the fence, but you never just turned around and started sprinting away from the bull. That thing will trample you before you know it. The bull was a terrifying force to turn and run from. Our God is a terrifying force to turn your back on and run from. And if you're here and you don't know him, my prayer this week is that the fear of the Lord would grip your heart in such a way that you'd stop the turning of your back and running. And that for the first time in your heart that you would see that Jesus Christ in dying on the cross wants to be the advocate standing in the courtroom before the judge crying out innocent on your behalf. And will you in faith surrender the lordship, surrender the control of your life, hand the keys over to Jesus today and have that advocate crying out for you? But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of wisdom. And when we have this right view that the fear of the Lord is, yes, it's revering and honoring, but it's more than that. It's seeing God in the awesomeness of who he is as creator. It's seeing God in the justice of who he is as judge. That once we get this, oh God, would you, would you trade our flippancy that we have towards you for a healthy fear of who you are? We can get so flippant with who he is. We can act like if God showed up here in his perfect presence, that we'd be like, oh, hey, what's up, God? We'd be on our face. We've tried to shrink God into this box that we can understand that doesn't, in a healthy way, terrify us. But there's an aspect where let's keep God big and majestic for who he is and live with this healthy fear of the Lord. This is freeing. To see God with this fear of the Lord that we're supposed to is not a burden, it's freeing. Why is it freeing? I love what Oswald Chambers says about this. He says, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. The fear of the Lord in our life is the only non-oppressive fear that there is. It's the freeing fear. It's a joy-filled fear. It's a consumed by the love of who he is fear. Like, why, why are we talking about this? I thought this was about how we get wisdom. Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Until we fear him for who he is, we will never have the wisdom that he promises to give to us. So next logical question, if wisdom starts for me with the fear of the Lord, um, how do I know if this is evident in my life? Is the fear of the Lord evident in my life? A flip back one page here, Proverbs 8, chapter 13. Flip back left, one page. Proverbs 8, 13. Look at what it says. The fear of the Lord is what? Is hatred of evil. 
The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. So wisdom will start for me with the fear of the Lord. Second point, I fear the Lord if I hate what is evil. Well, God doesn't hate anything. Yes, he does. He hates evil. Hear me now. He doesn't hate evil people. He hates the evil people do. And we are too as well. That there should be this hatred of evil. How do I know the fear of the Lord is evident in my life? I celebrate, like, I, I, I want to celebrate who he is and I want to celebrate the things of him. And I hate, I loathe the things that God hates and loathes. Evil. Evil is anything wrong. Evil is anything that's sinful. Evil is anything that is wicked. How do I know if I have the fear of the Lord? How do I know if I hate evil? Three fear of the Lord heart checks for us. Number one, do I hate the sin I see in me? Do I hate the sin I see in me? told you last week on vacation, when you go on vacation, you have more time to just kind of think. You have more time in an unrushed, unhurried way to spend with the Lord. And a lot of times for me in my life, when I get more time unhurried with the Lord, um, the Lord does a greater, more in, the Lord allows me to see a greater, more in-depth searching of my heart that he does. And so last week I'm meeting with the Lord and very gently, he would just reach in, he'd take my heart out, he'd lay it on the table before me, and he'd start putting his finger places. And he'd start pointing out this heart cancer called sin. I just got to tell you something. It was U-G-L-Y, and I ain't got no alibi. It was ugly. I'm not saying that to you for a preaching illustration. It was ugly. He's showing me pride-driven motivations of my heart. He's showing me gracelessness and lack of love towards people. He was showing me um, the heart of why, am, why can I be so short with my wife and my kids? He was showing me that this pace I'm trying to live out of ministry is really just to please people. And I'm like, Lord, enough. But the question in all seeing all those things is, do I hate them? Do I hate the sin that is manifest in my heart? Because God hates it. And here's why, because he loves me. And he wants what is most glorifying for him with my life. And he wants what is best for my life. And he hates the sin hidden in my heart because he loves me. And he hates the sin hidden in your heart because he loves you. He doesn't want it to cripple you. And when I see that, do I hate it? Do I loathe it? Do I want it gone? And will I kill it? Do I hate the sin I see in me? Three, fear of the Lord heart checks. Number two, do I laugh? at what makes God grieve. I think this is most applicable in our entertainment. <laughs> I mean, early on in marriage, Eric and I got into a couple of shows and there I was like finding myself just laughing. I mean, belly laughing over what I'm watching. And then like there came a season where the Lord started revealing to me, like, listen to what you're laughing at. Did you just hear what they said? 
Like I'm laughing at things that would grieve the heart of the Lord. It's like, is there a fear in the fear of the Lord in my life that what grieves him grieves me? And I'm not making light of things that he's making much of. Do I laugh at what makes him grieve? And then thirdly, do I condone what God condemns? There's just flat out things in his word that he just says are wrong. And yet our culture says is right. Do I find myself siding with culture and condoning things that God in his word has just clearly condemned? Three, fear of the Lord, heart checks for us. But now why are we talking about this? Because wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. And, and we know that the fear of the Lord is growing and evident in our life when we have a hatred for the things that he hates in culture. And we love the things that he loves in, in, in the culture and the world in which we live. Now, look at this. I want you to flip a little bit to your right, end of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19, because I want to see, I want you to see now the connection, the blessing of what comes from us building our life on this God-fearing wisdom. What is the blessings for our life of this God-fearing wisdom? Verse 23, Proverbs 19, 23. The fear of the Lord leads to what? Lift your voices up. The fear of the Lord leads to what? The fear of the Lord leads to life. It's not talking about air filling our lungs, our heart beating, physical life. It's talking about the life that God has created us to live. The fear of the Lord leads to life. And whoever has it, second line, and whoever has it rests satisfied. If all of us in here today have this in common, that we got up this morning and we could have gone other places, but we came here because we want the foundation of our life to be built on godly wisdom. All of us here have this also in common. We want to know how to get to the ever-elusive, satisfied life. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. My most satisfying life will be built on God-fearing wisdom. My most satisfying life will be built on God-fearing wisdom. And here's why this is good news. Because all of us in here have walked down roads that we hoped would satisfy. Some of us in here have walked down the road called satisfied by pleasure. And we hoped and we thought that it was the next hit, the next high, the next hookup that will finally bring the ever-elusive satisfaction our heart was longing for. And the farther we walked down that road, all we found is ourselves staring at the dead-end sign at the end of it, deeply dissatisfied. 
some of us in here, me included, and what the Lord did work on last week, have walked down a road called satisfied by success. Transparent moment. It's really easy for even a pastor to walk down this road. And, and here's, what's, here's what's scary. And, and you can just chalk it up as all work for the Lord. And what it really is, is just a desire for personal success. And we've walked down this road. And at the end of it, we're like, we're living our dream, we're living our dream life. We got success. We got our definition of success. But I'm so confused as I stand at the, stare at the dead end sign. Because the success forgot to bring with it the companion it was supposed to bring, this thing called satisfaction. The fear of the Lord leads to what? Come on. The fear of the Lord leads to what? Leads to life. And whoever has it, what? Rest satisfied. Why is this the case? Why does God-fearing wisdom lead to life and the satisfied life? Let me show you something that Jesus is called in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians one twenty four says this. Christ the power of God and what? And the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. At its basic root level, the wisdom of God is not a what thing. The wisdom of God is a who thing. We will never have the wisdom of God until we have the son of God. And we will never Surrender to the Son of God until we have the fear of God that brings us to that courtroom, longing for an advocate crying out at our side, innocent. And so today is this the fear of the Lord in my life unlocks the wisdom of the Lord for my life. But there's a word that has to encapsulate everything that we are talking about today. And that word is this, that word is surrender. And that's a word if you're here and you're, and, and you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for decades. We want the wisdom of God for our lives. My question for us Christians in here is this, are you surrendering day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment? Are you surrendering your wisdom to the wisdom of God, the perfect wisdom of God who's given you his spirit to guide you. Are you surrendering your wisdom to the wisdom of God? Some of you are in the midst of major decisions that have to be made in your life. Are you surrendering your earthly, fleshly, man-human wisdom to this spirit dwelling in you, wisdom of God? Some of you are in major seasons of life. Some of you have kids that you're like crying out for and you're like, how in the world do we parent these kids? 
Are you seeking wisdom with this fear of the Lord going, Lord, I just want what you want on this. I don't care. I just want your wisdom in this. And I'm going to get on my face and I'm going to cry out to you until your, your, your word is so firmly planted in my heart that you give us wisdom in this season. Christians in here, are we day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, surrendering our wisdom to the wisdom of God. Non-Christians in here, let me just say this. We're going to enter into a time of communion here. And if you're serving communion, you can be dismissed and get ready to do that. But if you're a non-Christian in here, communion is this. Communion is a time for those who have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to remember his sacrifice on the cross. Now, if you're in here today and you've never, you don't know if you have a relationship with Jesus and listen to me, lifetime churchgoer, the question isn't, do you know about him? The question isn't, have you grown up in church? The question is, do you know him? that the word of God says that Christ himself is the wisdom of God. Have you surrendered to the person of Jesus Christ, to the Lord that he is? Have you handed the keys of your life over to him and said, I'm done leading this thing. I'm done driving this thing. I've been a bad driver anyways. You take over. Has there been a point of surrender that would make you walk into the courtroom and with an advocate standing beside you, him crying out, innocent, I've covered their sin. And you're like, how do I get that? I want it. How do I get it? He says this, faith. No, no, no. There's got to be more. I got to work at it. I got to be really, really good faith. He said, believe. Believe that he really did love you. Believe that he really did die on the cross for your sin and every single one of them believe that he rose again three days later and in that conquered death and believe he's been making a beeline for your heart to know you in an abiding relationship from the day that you entered this earth. And today is the day, if you don't know him, that, to, that you surrender in your seat right there while these communion trays go down the aisles. They see, Lord Jesus, I see myself for who I am, a sinner who has offended you, and I see you for who you are and this fear and this awe and this love for who you are is, is Lord driving me to surrender my life over to your hands today. There's no magical prayer. There's no formula for it, but cry out to him from your seat here today. And may today be the day this advocate Jesus becomes the Lord of your life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But we don't get the wisdom of God until we know the Son of God, know Him. The offer has been made by Him on the cross to you. Father, now would you prepare our hearts for what we're about to partake in. Lord, you tell us that communion is a time for those who've trusted your sacrifice on our behalf to remember the sacrifice that you made. You tell us to not take of this in an unworthy manner, but to take time now to search our hearts. Lord, in the gentle, loving way that you do, pull our hearts out from us, expose it to us, and put your, air, put your finger on areas you want to see change into greater Christ-likeness. Lord, we ask you to do that. 
Lord, most of all, as we partake in this time, we thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.